Hello, and welcome to the Being Well podcast. I'm Forrest Hansen. Last week, we continued the strength of aspiration by exploring how we can aspire without attachment. Today, we're bringing aspiration to a close with an episode dedicated to making your offering. I'm joined, as usual, by Dr. Rick Hansen. So to start us off, what do you mean by making your offering, and why is it important? Well, in the context of what we've laid out about aspiration and how we relate to the world, this is where we can talk about rolling up our sleeves and getting to it. What are we actually going to do? What are we actually going to give to the world? And that's where this story uh, really stands out for me. I was uh, 35 or so years ago, and I was with a friend of mine, and my friend was about to give the most important talk of his life to date. It was his very first talk as an aspiring Zen priest. And I happened to know from the newspaper that some homeless people were coming into the Zen Center in San Francisco where he was going to give his talk. And they were only there for the free coffee and the warmth and the nice people. They had no interest in the talk. And so I was, frankly, kind of jealous of my friend. So I wanted to deflate him a little bit. I have to admit that and poke a hole in his balloon. So I teased him a little and said, hey, you got to know that a lot of the people there are just not going to be interested in what you have to say. Mm -hmm. How do you handle that? How do you feel about that? And he looked at me like I totally didn't get it because, of course, I didn't get it. And he made a gesture. We were sitting facing each other in the back room of a party that was going on elsewhere in the house. And he gestured at my feet. And he said, essentially, I just make the offering. After that, it's really out of my hands. It's up to them. And the way he said it was not dismissive or disrespectful. It was actually very freeing. And it enabled me to realize that he was crystal clear about his job. He said, you know, my job is to uh, prepare a good talk, tell a few jokes, try to keep people interested, be respectful to my material. But that's my job. Their job is to listen and make use of it however they do. And it's not my job to do their job, just like mm -hmm. it's not their job to do my job. Yeah. That's what he was really saying. And I, that really stuck with me as a wonderful framework for two truths side mm -hmm. by side, our job and their job, right? Mm -hmm. Our job is to make the offering as best we can, as wisely as we can into the world. And then in a sense, it's the job of the world to respond how it does. So that's really the frame for what we're going to be talking about here and why I use the language of making an offering. It's also true that when you frame what you do this way, the dishes you do, the emails you send, the meetings you run, the forklifts you operate, whatever it is you do, when you frame it as something you're offering, something you're giving into the world, that immediately reframes it uh, as more of a gift and a contribution and kind of moves away from the frame where we can get sucked into a day-to-day -day drudgery. So those are two reasons why I like talking about it as making your offering. Yeah, I think that just reframing it in that fashion turns sort of more dutiful tasks that we might have toward other people into more positive things that we can really like look forward to and feel good about. Yeah. And I think that's so much of it, of aspiration in general and of this idea in particular, is about identifying opportunities to feel good about something. Yeah. You know, because when we feel good about our behavior, it reinforces that positive behavior in the future. So this really dovetails with our next strength, which is generosity. Mm -hmm. And making the offering is, to a certain extent, a generous act toward others. And when we feel good about that generosity, that makes it more likely that we're going to be generous in the future. So it very much makes sense to me how making your offering connects in that way. 
I'm wondering how this framing supports aspiration more broadly as a strength.、Mm. So, if you're focusing on what you can offer,、mm-hmm. that opens the doors wide to not second guessing yourself、mm. or doubting yourself or feeling like, oh, my offering's got to be as good as theirs for me to make it, or my offering has to be perfect before I put it out into the world. And when you、uh, lighten up about the necessities that you're imagining of how the world will respond to you based on what you do, it frees you up to focus on what's in your own heart, what are your own gifts, what are are your own paths of actualizing yourself, all of which have to do with what in psychology is called an Internal locus of control.、Mm-hmm. You're focusing on what's within your own control and taking responsibility. Really, it's very old school. Actually,、um, it might sound very new agey almost to make your offering, but it's really very old school. It's do the job you can do、mm-hmm. and quit twisting your mind around、mm-hmm. about the job you ought to do or you wish you could have should have do or they want you to do. Focus on the job you can do right now. Right here with the people you're with, and make that offering, and that really supports aspiration. As an addendum to that, as kind of a connected idea to that, by kind of framing future pursuits in terms of what it allows us to offer, and then seeing which of those offerings kind of excites us internally, that can be a, a really good compass towards the things that we might want to aspire to. Yeah, I think there are probably two major blocks to people manifesting their aspirations that I've seen. One is that people get all twisted up about、um, wanting the world to respond to them in certain kinds of ways, and I can speak from some personal experience here, and、uh, also getting twisted up in a related way to wanting to perfect、um, the offering before we make it, b- based fundamentally on a kind of internal process of referring to an anticipated response from the world. Uh, you and I have talked about the、mm. inner audience that's、mm-hmm. kind of anticipated in people's minds, and I've used the language from psychology of so-called object relations, in which we people be, can become very object referenced, which is just a technical term, really, for other people can become other people referenced. So when you focus on your own offering, it takes you a lot out of that kind of tangle, and it brings you into an immediacy of what can you actually do right here, right now. And it, which tends to really、uh, blow up procrastination.、Mm. The second thing that is really good here that making your offering does in terms of clearing the second major block to fulfilling aspirations is it takes you out of being overly reactive to the criticism or response of other people. There's a lovely saying from Shanti Deva, the great Tibetan adept,、uh, probably around 800 or so of the Common Era. He said essentially. There are those, no matter what I do, who will praise me. So why should I worry so much about blame? On the other hand, there are those who will always blame me, no matter what I do. So why should I worry so much about praise?、Hmm. He's saying either way, the world is a fickle mistress, a fickle lover, and master. And the notion or focus of making your own offering disentangles you from. Being overly worried about the criticism of the world, and it means that you judge what you do not based 
on the number of five-star reviews, whatever you get in your life, but on your own internal standards of, did I bring sincerity of effort here? Did I bring my best game? Did I keep trying? Did I do an honest day's work? Did I learn from my mistakes? Were my intentions fundamentally good? That's the measure that you apply to your own work output. And that frees you up a lot in terms of whatever you aspire to. Mm, Yeah. So earlier you used a phrase, you said something about like what is and what isn't ours to offer. Yeah. And you kind of did it referentially around other people. Yeah. And I was wondering what you kind of meant by that and and how this general concept around offerings and kind of only controlling what you can control can influence and simplify our relationships with others. When you focus on making your own offering with other people, you lighten up about what's going on inside the black box on the other person's mind. And you also lighten up about trying to over-influence what's happening there. You know, I've worked with a lot of couples, and I've also been in relationships for a long time with my wife and family and friends. And I've had a lot of mistakes, uh, and I've tried to, you know, kind of see what was at the bottom of them. And I think at the bottom of a lot of mistakes with other people is trying to over-control what's happening inside their minds. Mm-hmm trying to over-influence it or overshape it or over-pull for approval uh, or endorsement or applause. And here, too, making the offering uh, lightens you up about that. You get less caught up in what's happening inside the other person's mind. You recognize that there are so many causes of what's happening inside their mind you can't shape. And flipping it the other way, you give them room to breathe. When other people don't feel that you're trying to penetrate into their innermost sanctum to control what happens there or shape it, then they've got more breathing room too. And they're more actually able to stay open to receive what it is that you're offering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's really well said. And kind of implicit in that is this idea that part of effectively making an offering is finding a receiver for that offering that's receptive to it. Mm -hmm. Whether it be about you know, you wanting to make an offering to the earth and to nature, so you want to go out and plant a bunch of trees, well, you're not going to try to plant them in a parking lot. It's, uh. it's, it's not a very effective <laughs> way to make that particular offering to people. Or um, to kind of paraphrase that, we I, I remember that we had an interaction a while ago where we were talking about somebody else and kind of a bit of a a personal and interpersonal struggle that they were going for around looking for something that just like they could never quite find. Yeah. And I sort of had the phrase, well, I just feel like they're trying to fish in a parking lot a lot. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, a pretty good teaching story for what a lot of us do with our offerings, where we don't really think about where's the most fertile place to give them, where's the best place to kind of spend my time with this endeavor. To be frank about a personal story, my very first book, uh, with two other authors, um, Mm -hmm. your mom, my wife, as well as Dr. Ricky Polycove was Mother Nurture. Mm -hmm. And we really did a good job on the book. We brought a lot of carefulness to it, how to support a mother's long-term well-being, body, mind, and relationships. And we did all the right things. We made the offering really, really well. And yet the truth was the ground was not fertile. Mm. Many reasons for that. Um, I'm not an MD and I'm not an academic and I'm not a woman. So those all made a difference in terms of what the ultimate outcome of the book could be. And so 
here we had a great teaching for me, at least, that there was just a point where I had to realize that uh, no matter how worthy the content or substance of the book was, and no matter how good the intentions were behind it, and how great the fundamental need for it, bottom line, it just wasn't going to go anywhere. Mm -hmm. And that's just the way it was. And that we had to learn from that. We had to take a big breath and then look elsewhere for you know what might be more receptive for the kinds of things I could offer. And mm -hmm. eventually, I wrote Buddha's Brain, you mm -hmm. know, some years later. Um, and that that's a real teaching. And I think it's also true uh, not just in business but interpersonally. Mm. Think about the times that you a person you know you might have pursued love with someone, mm -hmm. and you made your offering to them. Yeah. Right. You treated him well. Uh, you got dressed up for the date. Uh, you tried not to be a jerk. And, you know, at the end of the day, you're just not their cup of tea. Mm -hmm. You're not mm -hmm. the one they want, really. Yeah. And you got to live with that. And rather than, con you know, continuing to try to, as it were, get blood for the stone or catch fish in the parking lot, as you put it, mm -hmm. uh, you just have to take a breath and look elsewhere. And I think to do that, sometimes people have to grapple with grief a poignancy and to be open and be resourced enough, drawing on the skills that you and I have been exploring in this podcast, be resourced enough to just face that it's just not going to happen there. It's just not going to happen. Mm -hmm. And obviously there's wisdom about when do you leave, you know, the place where you're trying to plant, you know, or catch fish. Are you leaving too soon or too late? Yeah. And I think that that's kind of the the next natural question here, which is just that it, isn't that like kind of a, a sort of encouragement toward giving up of one kind or another? I mean, history is filled with hundreds, if not thousands of examples yes. of people who were, you know, down to the, the last arrow in their quiver and yeah. ended up pulling it on out. Um, so how do you kind of find the line between that fertile ground and that not fertile ground? Like, do you have any sort of thoughts or teachings there? It's a great, great question. I think we've all known people who just persist past the point of wisdom. Mm -hmm. And I tend to persist to a fault uh, mm -hmm. myself. So I think it's useful from a practical standpoint to know yourself. Do you tend to give up too soon or too late? And then that tells you where you ought to put in a correction factor or be mm -hmm. a little skeptical of your own thought processes about it. That's one key. I think a second key is to look outside your own frame of reference for input from other people. Mm -hmm. What do they see? Yeah. Uh, what do they really evaluate as the odds here? And would it be possible that actually you've got nine out of 10 of the key ingredients for catching a fish here, mm. but you're just missing one? And if they they know what that one is, and they could tell you what that one is to add. Mm -hmm. Or maybe in relationships, um, I've seen people who persist, but they persist in ways that are minimally unskillful, if not, frankly, unconsciously motivated. Uh, as a strategy to prevent what they really, really long for, mm -hmm. because what mm -hmm. they long for is actually frightening to them because mm -hmm. it would open them up. They, they fear unconsciously to a dreaded experience, let's say. So that's where somebody else can come in and can say, well, for one, you're, you, you've got tons of talent as a fisher person, but you're fishing in a parking lot. You just mm -hmm. need to shift over here 100 feet where there's actually water. Oh, in other words, your your problem is selection. You're going after a, the kind of people who are just never going to want you. But instead, if you go after a different kind of person who's perfectly good for you and you'll like that kind of person, that kind of person will actually want someone like you. So that's where somebody else, I think, can give us input. And maybe last, um, deep, deep down inside, I do believe sometimes that it's really useful to step out 
of the movie, step out of the the drama for a little bit, and take a long walk, go into the woods, go to the beach, sit outside for an hour and look up at the stars, uh, disengage from the normal routine, shake it up, go mm. for a really long drive, shake it up, go out of town for a weekend or longer, whatever you can actually do, shake it up. And then based on shaking it up, take a fresh look at everything uh, with fresh eyes. And that sometimes too can bring a lot of useful wisdom in. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So to kind of flip it around a little bit, maybe the other side of the coin, what are some other ways or things we can do to identify where that most fertile ground might be? Like those are some indications of whether or not the place where we're standing might not be good. Yeah. But what are some ways just internally, maybe we're doing a New Year's process, it's towards the end of the year right now, um, and we're wandering into 2019, and you're searching for that more, more fertile ground. What are some good indications that a place that maybe you haven't explored is worth checking out. Yeah, that's great. Well, um, at least a couple of notions. One, think about times in your life when you really flourished mm. or you really blossomed mm. or your your gifts, as it were, were really appreciated and built on and received. Are there some examples of that? And uh, if you step back and kind of analyze those examples, you can often identify what are the causes and conditions, essentially that uh, draw the best out of you and have the greatest odds for success. Second, think about your own natural talents. I think sometimes people, they're working with relatively fertile ground, but it's not about what they're actually spectacularly talented at. So the results are going to be good, but not great. Where people in life tend to have great results is when they are employing their great talents in environments that are greatly nurturing and fertile. You know, the last idea for us I have is really based on kind of watching you. Mm. Uh, in that, one of the ways that we can create a better match between what we have to offer and the environment into which we offer it is by tuning the environment itself. Mm. Maybe there are ways that we can help others be more receptive to what we have to offer. Mm. Maybe a person could change their schedule somewhat or change the uh, routines that they have in their, in their life that would therefore bring more of the best out of them. Or interpersonally, also, I've seen you do things with other people, including me, uh, as well as you know, your, your friends and your partner, to... Try to nudge them or ask them to be more open to or respond better to some of the things you have to offer. Mm -hmm. So the larger point is that it, we're not stuck with the environment we're in. Yeah, to add one kind of final thought to that, we've done a lot of talking throughout these podcast episodes around kind of coming more into touch with our own nature. But I think that often, particularly in the area of work, People are sometimes resistant to taking steps based on their actual nature as a person. And I mm. see this all the time, huh. particularly with my friends who are artistically inclined, where huh. there's sort of this sense of, oh, you know, but I'm supposed to go work in a cubicle and therefore that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. When that environment is just completely unsuited for their fundamental underlying nature as a person to, I believe it's a quote from, from Albert Einstein to paraphrase, where it's something along the lines of, 
you know, if we judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, we're always going to think that the fish is stupid. Huh. That's a great quote. Absolutely. And I think that it's kind of a deep teaching around this idea of making your offering and finding fertile ground for it. It's about understanding the things that you yourself are are suited for and mm. skillful at. And what are the bodies of water that your little inner fish can go swimming in as yeah. opposed to constantly trying to climb that tree? There's something really kind about that, right? Because you can imagine that feeling in you yeah. or attitude applied to another person. Mm -hmm. And then to apply it to yourself mm -hmm. has a kind of a real tenderness in it, a real sweetness. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that we see all the time when we're interacting with others, we'll have a conversation with a friend where, you know, they're complaining about some element of their job or their love life or whatever. And it's really easy from the outside for us to look at it and say, well, you know, of course you're not enjoying that job. It, you're you're working with spreadsheets all the time with when what you really love is doing X, whatever X might be. Or in a romantic sense, well, sure, that's not really working out because you tend to want a lot of intimacy and the other person just wants a ton of autonomy. And they think that a relationship works best when the two people are really separate from each other and kind of have their own individual life. And you think a relationship works best when you're all in everything together all the time. Mm. Of course, that's probably not compatible. Mm. But often it's really a challenge for us to turn that lens onto ourselves and mm. kind of evaluate our own experience in that way. So I would just encourage anyone listening who, you know, is struggling with that to kind of do that as a as a practice, to take that on as a test. And just to see if you were to step outside of yourself and look at your own traits as a person, what would be the advice that you would give yourself around where to make your offering? Yeah. I'm really touched by that as well because very consistently with the overall theme here. For a person to judge their occupation, really, mm. their work, their life, that aspect of life, in terms of, was I true to my own nature? Mm. Did, I, did I honor my own nature? Did I make room for my own particular gifts? Did I keep faith with myself? Those are the kinds of questions that people can answer yes to no matter what the world does. The only thing that affects whether they can answer yes to those questions is whether they truly made their offering in a way that was consistent with their true nature. And I think for many, many people, they suffer a lot, I have in my life, having to do with overvaluing the feedback of the world mm. and under-honoring the calling of your own heart. Yeah, I think that's a, a really lovely point in general. So as we move towards a close here, uh, this is now our final episode on aspiration. We've covered a lot of themes in the time that we've been here. We talked about aspiring without attachment and honoring your childhood dreams. And now we're closing with making your offering. Are there any final thoughts around aspiration that you would like to leave people with? Any big picture ideas that have been particularly applicable inside your own life that you feel we haven't touched here yet? I'd like to offer uh, a couple of lessons from my early 20s that hmm. I sure wish someone had sat me down sure, yeah. uh, and laid on me. And uh, I, from time to time, I insist that some person in their mid-20s listen to me, and they usually are you know, gracious and do. It's that, first of all, if you're going to look at 
the front end of your career, your occupation, or no matter where you are in middle age or late middle age or in the last five, 10 years of your own career process, really, really focus on the long view. And what do Mm. I mean by that? I mean that uh, if you think about it, the costs of preparing and laying the foundation for preparing the launch pad for your career, those costs are uh, amortized. They're spread out over the course of a 40, 50-year career Mm. or the remaining 10 years of your career, let's say. And the benefits, on the other hand, of preparing your platform really, really well, investing in yourself, maybe going to school an extra year or two or three, doing an apprenticeship, taking time to really develop a skill, investing in your business, whatever those costs are, the benefits from those costs tend to compound exponentially over the long haul of your career. So we have costs that fade out, but benefits that keep accruing. And it's easy to to overlook that or to be too short-sighted because the costs are up front and they're concrete. The benefits tend to be fuzzier and over the longer haul. And yet, If you make yourself really, really zero in on the benefits over the long haul, the compound, you'll be more willing to invest in yourself at the front end. And I think that's a really important lesson for people. Mm. Second major lesson, and I only got two here, when I look back uh, from the perspective of being in early, late middle age, I'll just put it like that, looking back on my own career, I think that clearly the truth is most other people don't really care what you do. Mm. Or they might care for a few hours, or they might say something in passing, but that stuff fades quickly into the rearview mirror. What you really are left with over the course of your whole productive life is inside you. Were you true to yourself? Did you did you bring your whole heart to it? Did you try? Do you respect your own efforts? Do you have a sense that You made room and you took your best shot at what you could offer so that however high you soared in this life was not flattened by your own lack of effort or lack of courage and keeping faith with yourself. Um, That's the fundamental metric when you look back at the end of a long career. I don't remember all those things that those other people said that hurt my feelings at the time. But what I really do remember and what I really have with me as the residues of a, of a career really engaged is the feeling of, yeah, I really did try hard. I don't know the details, but I know I kept trying hard. And so to me, what I, what I would say to people is the takeaway, really, when you look back from, the, from a long career, as I am doing right now, is to realize that it's not appropriate to care so much about what the audience says or what the mob says, as it were, but instead really, really care about whether you're being true to yourself and uh, bringing your whole heart and your whole effort to your to your life every day. Mm. Great. That's a wonderful note to end on. So today we talked about making your offering. We started by framing making your offering in terms of aspiration in general, and led with the idea that when we're focused on what we offer rather than what the other person receives from that offering, it becomes easier to aspire because our focus is turned on the things that we have control over rather than the things that we don't have control over. This idea can be applied to our relationships as well, the idea of offering something kind or supportive or well-intentioned to other people and not really being so caught up 
in what that other person does with that thing. But then, of course, if these things aren't accepted over a long period of time, if it turns out that, you know, we are trying to fish in that parking lot, then it makes sense for us to look for more fertile ground. And we went over a variety of ways to either identify whether the ground that we're currently on is fertile or look for more fertile ground in the future. And then finally, you ended with those kind of wonderful notes on the importance over a long career of kind of focusing on the big picture, focusing on the end game and looking at the ways that we can accrue value over the course of a life rather than being kind of granularly focused in the moment on a specific cost. So if you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate it if you would leave a rating and subscribe to the podcast through the platform of your choice. It helps other people find it, and we really do appreciate it. Also, I haven't been told to say this, but if you've been enjoying the podcast, you might also enjoy Rick's Online Foundations of Wellbeing program. Uh, the Foundations of Wellbeing is the program that created the 12 Strength Structure that we use here on the podcast and also in our book, Resilient. In just an hour a week over the course of a year, uh, Dr. Hansen will show you how to build each of these 12 strengths in detail, allowing you to cope with life's challenges from a place of calm strength. Early bird registration for the program is currently open, and it ends on December 10th, um, and I strongly encourage you to check it out if you've been enjoying our content so far, and I'll include a link to that in the description of today's podcast. We hope you'll join us again next week when we'll begin the 12th and final strength in our year-long series, Generosity. Until then, thanks for listening.